Let's do this. Let's get it. Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is July 2, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Nurul Azlia. And I'm Summerly. <laughs> What's up, Summer? What's up? Uh, we killed Vim, so definitely he is like not here because uh, men are trash. You know, you know, drill. <laughs> <laughs> but they always come back. So Vim's still going to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Vim is great and we did not kill him as you'll see. Maybe. <laughs> He'll resurrect in a few weeks' time. We'll tell you about it later. <laughs> Anyways, how's your week going? Uh, yeah, same, same. Lah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Same, same for me too, except that I feel extra heaty these few weeks because I ate durian twice already. Oh, was it three times? I think I lost count. <laughs> no, why, would you, why are you hoarding the world's supply of durians? What are you doing? <laughs> and then, um, because like it's durian season now, so I started by, mm. like, I bought, like, I had like a first round two weeks ago. And then mm. after that, I realized that the prices kind of went down for some of the stores mm. near my area. And I'm like, shit. I um so I bought because I just I just couldn't accept that I had paid more the previous mm. round. So revenge so during Yeah, so I bought another round and then after that I found more cheaper ones, then I bought another round. So now I feel like <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm putting the stop to to my durian eating for now. I love before it. I get a fever. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd be that way. Do you I, eat I durian? I do, but here's the thing. I just got new housemates, right? So I'm like, I haven't figured out if they like durian or not. So like, I'm going to tread carefully and not offend everybody by putting like a whole stack in the fridge first. So I got to like suss out the situation and see how it goes. Why can't you just ask them? Yeah, I could. Yeah, because they, they literally just moved in. So like, you know, I got to like put a foot in, be like, do you like durian? Then I can go and buy 4,000, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe like only in Singapore, durian can be like the perfect icebreaker question. Like, hey, mm-hmm. what's up? I'm Summer. Do you like durian? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's like the ultimate, like, how to say factor in deciding to, whether to be friends with someone or not. I'm just kidding. But you know, or am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay, let's move on. Here you Advertise with our in house agency growth. Fast, funny, digital. Join forces with us to slay buzzwords, rise above the noise, and sow the seeds of something great. Get in touch via coconuts.co slash grove. And for this week's top stories, we've got, uh, we're starting with Bali. So in Bali, we're seeing new spikes in COVID-19 infections with daily cases hitting triple digits. But the minister is saying that he has nothing to do with the recent Work From Bali initiative that's encouraging government workers to come out in like droves to work from the island starting Q3 of this year. Um, So at a recent press briefing, the uh, minister, his name is Sandiaga Uno, he's a tourism and creative economy minister. He came out and told reporters and trying to like deny speculations by saying that, um, you know, we want to clarify that the Work From Bali program has not triggered the recent case spike. Um, In fact, uh, most of them, uh, as much as 84%, were due to local transmissions, which if, you know other people come to Bali and spread it, then wouldn't that also be considered as local transmissions? I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, do I believe you? Just because you say yeah. it is, does that mean it's true? <laughs> yeah. I guess because 
um, it just coincides like the start the start of the program as well as the spike in cases just kind of coincides in terms of the mm-hmm. timeline. Um, so um, I don't blame people for coming to that conclusion. And the fact that the minister didn't really clarify properly or like refuted speculations properly, <laughs> he failed. <laughs> what a coinky doing that those two things just happened at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I really hope Bali. Uh, I really hope things get better in Bali, man. Like you know, because mm-hmm. I want to go to Bali. <laughs> uh huh. It's all selfish reasons. I'm with you, sister. I'm trying to swim in your waters. Please get better. <laughs> <sighs> okay, and over in Bangkok, Thai sex workers protest the shutdown with heels and panties. Yes, queen. Um, But yeah, a group of sex workers and karaoke bar staff gathered at the government house to demand financial compensation from authorities, as you freaking should. So about 20 people lay high heels on the ground while others tie panties to the building's front gate. I love redecoration. But yeah, since their workplaces, i.e. massage parlors, go-go bars and karaoke joints have been ordered shut for months, the group arrived at around 9am on Tuesday asking for 5,000 baht, that's around uh, USD $156, uh, monthly stipends per person. So one of the protesters, Sirisak Chaited, an LGBT uh, plus activist who recently made waves with their gender-inclusive monkhood campaign, said that the government needs to treat sex workers like any other profession. Since Thailand's sex trade attracts foreign tourists and bring large amounts of income to the country, uh, according to Sirisak, these workers deserve government compensation, especially during times of crisis. True, 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 true. So Sirisak said, we're Thai people and we generate income for the country. Please accept the reality that prostitution exists and it does have value and dignity like any other profession. Bars. Uh, but yeah, um, it's like super weird, dude, because like prostitution in Thailand is currently punishable with up to two years in prison and or a 40,000 baht fine. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh so crazy i mean prostitution is like one of the earliest occupations to ever exist uh-huh. <laughs> yeah just i don't know just accept them already <laughs> in hong kong really funny story um a little bit long so bear with me um so in hong kong a facebook netizen said that her relatives fell prey to a scam involving a fake iPhone they thought they were lucky enough to have found in the back of a taxi. Mm. So they wrote, in, they wrote in a Facebook group telling the whole story of how it happened, and it's quite funny. Um, so the netizen said that two of her elderly relatives flagged a taxi to Tokwa Wan from Hong Kong. Um, when they got on, they noticed what appeared to be an iPhone um, in the back seat and then notified the driver. So the driver said that the phone might um, have been left behind by a young woman, um, most probably uh, the, a previous passenger. So he took the phone, he browsed, um, and then he told the el- elderly relative, the, this, um, these two uh, passengers, uh, that the device was actually new and that uh, there was still nothing on the phone. Mm-hmm. And then he asked, he offered them $900 for the phone. I'm sorry, it's actually 900 Hong Kong dollars. So that's US $115 in exchange for the phone. So these two elderly relatives, they thought like, oh, okay, that's that's a good good deal, you know? Mm -hmm. So they actually paid the driver that 
And then when they came home, you know what they realized? What? That um, the phone, it was actually a dummy model. That um, it had like Apple's, you know, icon, signature icon, but the phone was actually running on an Android. <laughs> I don't know how that works though, which is quite... It's kind of freaking smart. Like I kind of it's quite this genius. scam. I'm like, yeah. you this shit? Are you running a skills future course? <laughs> <laughs> How to make your Android look like an Apple phone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know what I don't know what they're gonna do about it. I guess they can't find the guy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. Gosh. Mm-hmm. What kind of smart How do you do it? Yeah, I know, right? It's like you're. You're so um, impressed. Like, I'm so impressed, mm. but at the same time, I'm like, damn, why you do that to old people? Yeah. An uh, over in Jakarta, an Aceh woman collapses after receiving 100 lashes for premarital sex. Oh, God. But yeah, this woman collapsed when she was flogged in public as she was one of the latest to be punished for religious transgressions in the province. So this woman and her male lover were sentenced to 100 lashes each for engaging in premarital sex. And the public flogging saw three others subject to their punishment. One man was sentenced to 75 lashes for providing a venue for premarital sex, while two other men were sentenced to 40 lashes for drinking alcohol. Oh, God. And the woman uh, collapsed after receiving her punishment, which was carried out by enforcers from the province's religious police. Uh, the public order agency and witnessed by members of the public and the woman had to be carried away from the location because she fainted after receiving 100 lashes. Um, But yeah, the woman eventually came to and she was doing fine aside from the pain from the flogging, presumably. But yeah, flogging is a common punishment for a range of offences in the deeply conservative Aceh, the only province with the special autonomy to enforce Sharia law including Mm -hmm. adultery, drinking alcohol, and having gay or premarital sex. Oof. Yeah, that area is really deeply conservative, but I have never heard of uh, a punishment of this extent there. Mm -hmm. 100 lashes? Yeah, dude, and like all in public, and people can just, what, go and look at it like it's the zoo or some shit. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. Damn. I hope she... I hope she... Gets the treatment she needs. Mm-hmm. I would just die. <laughs> One hundred lashes. Yeah, dude. I'm like, I don't think my body is strong enough to survive that, man. Yeah, what the shit. Oh well. Uh, okay. In Kuala Lumpur, shitty things happen in Kuala Lumpur. Like literally. <laughs> oh no. So crazy shit happened this week because the Prime Minister's mm-hmm. office actually released a statement announcing to the whole country that Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin was taken to hospital because he had been suffering from <laughs> diarrhea of all things. Wait, I've got diarrhea. Send a public statement <laughs> now. <laughs> Y'all, what do we do when he has the flu? Yeah, right? Anyways. So, <laughs> so um, I'm not, I'm definitely not surprised that social media just exploded with like all sorts of reactions, all sorts of hilarious memes, just responding to it. I mean, like, you know, all commoners like us, like if, if I have diarrhea at least, like I would just, you know, take po chai 
take whatever um you know our our favorite traditional Chinese medicine that always mm-hmm. works most of the time. You know, mm-hmm. instead of like, okay, let's let's prepare to go to the hospital and then let's prepare a public statement and then issue it to the prime minister's office. Man, that's like a lot of things to do. So, so these were like a lot. Of, so these were the things that people were taking jabs at um, on online. And the funny thing is that it went global. And even um, Tom DeLong, I don't know if you know. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. very old. That's why I no, know. No. <laughs> he used to be uh, a member of Bling One Eighty Two, which is one of the most famous punk rock bands in the whole mm-hmm. world. Um, they're still going on, but without Tom DeLong. So he um, reacted to it with, like, the be- in the best way possible, which is um, using a GIF of himself, <laughs> <laughs> saying, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Giant. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, yeah, super. And um, so it's not all- it's not always that you know you hear punk rockers reacting to Malaysian news, uh, especially <laughs> Malaysian politics politic news. Uh, so that really, that really was the highlight of uh, many pong rockers in Malaysia yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yep, we made it to the world map. <laughs> Woo! For diarrhea. Thanks. What else? Yeah, for diarrhea. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, get well soon, Muhyiddin. <laughs> Is he going to tell us when he gets well soon? <laughs> Uh, I hope so. I mean, you told us you went. You got to tell us when you come back. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Now we're invested. <laughs> <laughs> now we're invested in your diarrhea. Tell and us. So is Tom. Okay, and over in Manila, Facebook apologizes for handy translation gaffe in Mandawi City Post about Pinoy's death. So we previously reported on the death of former Philippine President Benigno Noynoy Aquino III and the Madawi City Public Information Office endured an embarrassing auto-translate gaffe on Facebook instead. Oh, Facebook. Okay, so the original post uh, read, Madawi City lowers the flag to half-mast to mark the death of former President Noynoy Aquino. And as you know... Uh, Facebook's auto-translate then gave this extremely unfortunate rendition. <sighs> Brace yourselves, y'all. Mandawi City is half-masturbating for the death of former President Noinoi Aquino. And yeah, I guess it's not what they were going for in the original post, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <sighs> it, it really doesn't help that the still image from the accompanying video shows the local government unit employees standing in front of a giant pride banner which has adorned the Mandawi City LGU building for Pride Month. So, yeah. What kind of cock translation is this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, Damn. So disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Just, just, that, just, that had no business being this funny. Yeah. A man died, y'all, and you're over here making jokes. <sighs> yeah, good thing they apologize. And yeah, fix man. it. I hope they fixed it. Is it still there? Hope not. I have no idea. Well, they better do. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, in Singapore, I tell you, durian season is serious business in Singapore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so recently, 11 people were arrested um, after... Uh, actually, they were arrested um, after they were found trespassing a protected area uh, to pick durians. And the funny thing is that um, when the police were alerted to the incident, they thought they were alerted to a fight. They were alerted to a fight that was happening in the wee hours along Mandai Road, which is a forested area very near the Singapore Zoo. Um, and then when they got there, they found this group of people picking up durians in this, you know, area where you, you know, nobody's supposed to enter. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I don't know whether they get to keep their durians, but all of them got hauled up and arrested. <laughs> this is just such a uniquely Singaporean, like, freaking story. It's like, of course, they would be trespassing, but, you know, to pick durian, it's not like any other, like, fun stuff, like dealing drugs or anything. Nope, it's durian. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, man. Just getting high on durians. Yeah, it'd be that way. Sometimes I, sometimes I do feel like I get a bit high. Like maybe it's a durian coma. <laughs> oh, it's like high on XO durian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, and that's for Singapore. Nice. And our top story for the week it comes from Yangon. Oh, look at this headline: COVID. But yeah, Myanmar is caught between the pandemic and the takeover. As you know, they had a little thing called a coup, which started on February 1st this year. And it has been, the headlines coming out there just have not been positive at all. And Mm. understandably so. But now Myanmar has recorded 1,225 new confirmed COVID cases, according to the Ministry of Health and Sports. And the recent spike in cases have raised fears of a third wave of the outbreak, which threatens to overwhelm Myanmar's gutted healthcare system since the military seized power. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of scary shit uh, because, you know, their healthcare system is ill-equipped already to deal with a new surge of COVID-19 cases after thousands of healthcare workers refused to work under the new military regime. But yeah, both Myanmar's COVID-19 testing and the nationwide vaccination rollout collapsed due to the massive walkouts by striking healthcare staff. Um, the true number of COVID-19 cases is also believed to be higher than what the current testing capacity suggests. Myanmar social media posts about random deaths later attributed to COVID-19 are more eerie signs that a third wave is currently sweeping across the country. So security forces have also regularly targeted frontline healthcare workers and medics while raiding and occupying hospitals. So according to the Physicians for Human Rights, there were over 109 attacks and threats against healthcare workers between February 11th and April 12th, including arrests, injuries, killings, hospital raids, and occupations. Um, So I guess, you know, even like epidemiologists have been weighing in and saying that there's really no hope if there's going to be a military regime and COVID at the same time. It's like, it's not viable for anyone. And yeah. Um, in a public statement through her lawyers, deposed state councillor Aung San Suu Kyi also told the public to be more careful about COVID-19 and that she was worried about the country's rising cases. And yeah, but it just seems like a lot to be worried about. But yeah, I don't know what to say, but I really hope all this gets cleared up soon. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and our guest for this week, his name is Tio Yusheng. You might know him as the creator of Singapore-based queer brand, Hacking Unicorn. <sighs> So we talked to him about, you know, um, Pride Month because it's just ended, mm-hmm. real sad. Um, but yeah, and then we talked to him about his collaboration with MTV on the Love Beyond Genres campaign. 
Mm-hmm. Have a listen. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Yusheng, for joining us today. Uh, I'm Nurul, and of course, you have Summer with us today. So we're going to talk hey. about like all the exciting things that you're doing with Hacking Unicorn um, and um, this campaign, the MTV campaign that you are a part of. Yeah, so excited to hear more from you. Um, maybe start with telling us what Hacking Unicorn is all about and how you came up with the name. Right. Uh, so thanks for having me today. Uh, Hacking Unicorn is essentially a brand that designs and sells uh, LGBTQ plus lifestyle accessories. So we design and sell stuff like enamel pins, notebooks, uh, socks, and stuff like that. And in general, the designs tend to be skewed towards the more subtle end. So what it means is that if you're not within the community or if you're not that aware about the different types of uh, identities, then you might not know that the designs are queer designs. Mm. Uh, and that's on purpose because the context is in Singapore and actually in many countries around the world, a lot of queer people are still closeted. So they might live in uh, hostile environments where it's not exactly safe to be too obvious or to be out to their family. So. In those instances, uh, having some queer merchandise that is a bit more subtle, it helps them sort of uh, be able to be proud of their identity, to wear something that speaks about their identity without risking uh, consequences or without outing themselves to the people around them. So that is the reason why a lot of the designs tend to skew towards the more subtle side. I think that's such a sweet gesture and I've never really heard any other brand do it um, because I, I noticed that even the packaging, like the envelope that the products arrive in, they're, they, they're subtle, right? It doesn't give away whatever that's inside. Yeah, so I, I think it might be because I, I was a user experience designer before mm-hmm. I quit and like decided to do Hacking Income full-time. So the end-to-end sort of user experience uh, is very important to me, which is why even down to the packaging. uh, So, you know, when you send items overseas, you need to declare at the customs. And even the customs declaration is is precise enough that the customs office know what the items are, but it doesn't give away that it's a queer pin uh, or it's a queer design. So it ensures that there is safety la, for the for the customers who purchase the items. Yeah, but when did it start though actually? And are you the only one um, running this brand or do you have a team? So far for now, there's me and there's an intern. Uh, but for the most part, I think it's been around two and a half years. Uh, it has yeah. been me <laughs> alone. <laughs> uh, so... Pretty much everything I think is done by me. The design, the running of the website, the packing of orders and all that. Yeah. Um, two years. I think that's quite short for but but even within this span of just two years, I think I feel like the brand has grown so much. I don't know, don't you think? Like somewhere like we've we we always mm-hmm. come across um hacking unicorn branding like 
mm-hmm. on social media like every time uh there's like conversations going on, on social media like i always see hanky unicorn like contributing to that conversation and Yeah, I mean, you've even like amassed fifty freaking thousand followers on your account right now on Instagram, and yeah, I guess we just want to know about the person behind it all. Yushan, could you tell us about yourself? My name is Yushan. I am gay. I am cisgender uh, man. Uh, I have been in Singapore forever since I was born. Uh, okay. So I grew up here. Um, I I think what is possibly interesting is the fact that I am quite lucky as a queer person in Singapore, um, mm. because Singapore can be pretty hostile towards queer people. So um, mm-hmm. the things that we hear in schools, the things we are taught in schools, uh, the lack of representation in media spaces because of IMDA censorship, mm. uh, the lack of representation in politics. Uh, I think a couple of election cycles ago, uh, one of the ministers outed a political opponent as gay. Uh, so that's a despicable move. Mm-hmm. Um, so going up as a queer person, there there are a lot of like subtle hostility uh, that mm-hmm. is very easy to internalize. So my family mm-hmm. is Buddhist, um, but even then, I felt like being gay was wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, Buddhism is already quite chill with <laughs> a lot of like LGBT aspects. Uh, but even without the pressure of being in a religious family, uh, I still felt like I had to, uh, I had to learn how to love myself. And it took me 20 years. Um, but when I got there, I realized that I was quite lucky because um, my friends, my family, And all of the colleagues I've ever had, they were all very accepting of my identity. And I could live pretty much freely as myself in nearly all aspects of my life. So Mm -hmm. when I'm at home, when I am out with friends, when I am working, last time, you know, we used to go to office. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. But in all of these aspects, I could be myself. And... I know enough queer people that to know that this is not the norm in Singapore. The mm. norm is that queer people have to be closeted to some extent. So whether it's to some of their friends, whether it's to the immediate family uh, or to some of the colleagues, the norm is that they have to hide who they are because it's not safe to be out. And so... Mm. The context is that for me, as I grew up, as I learned to love myself and as the people around me sort of like embraced me for who I am, uh, it became quite clear that I have a certain sort of privilege. And mm-hmm. I, I sort of, I, I just kept thinking like, how could I use this to help other people who are afraid who might not be able to voice their opinions, who might not be able to make their identity known, how could I use my voice to help them? And so that was part of the motivation for uh, running Hacking Unicorn, for doing all of this uh, sort of like advocacy work, for talking about uh, 
things like conversion therapy, things like how schools mm. have been suppressing queer identities. Um, so a big part of it is actually using my relative privilege as a person uh, to help other people who are less well off, who have to hide who they are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's totally reflected in the creative work that you've done. Um, all of your pins are very cute and they're like very subtle. So subtlety is like a huge thing, as you said, right? So like, how do you get inspiration for these products? And yeah. Right. So it, it depends. So there are a lot of things that I had to sort of like learn about or research about. Uh, a lot mm. of the pin designs, they are kind of like inside jokes, I guess. <laughs> um, and because I might not be part of the community, for example, the asexual community, so I might not know uh, what kind of puns they have, what kind of jokes they have. And so there is mm -hmm. some degree of like online research. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I found that the cake is kind of a meme within the ace community because the, and this is a pretty old kind of like joke. Um, and it's because they would rather have cake than have sex. But most mm -hmm. people would rather have sex. Uh, mm -hmm. So it became kind of like a joke. And that's mm -hmm. the inspiration behind one of the pin designs, which is the ace of cakes. Um, and again, this is a kind of design where if, if you're within a community or if you're aware of that inside joke, you will get that this is a queer pin. But as an outsider or just someone who just look at the pin, you might just think that it's just a pin and you don't know what it means. Um, so there's a part of it uh, in terms of like thinking of the design that goes into research, like what are some inside jokes? What are some puns? Um, of course, there are also different designs. So some of them are like cute cats and cute dogs, which are just cute, right? It's just, there's no, there's no other explanation beyond the fact that cats are cute and dogs are cute. Um, so yeah, it, it depends on which community we are looking, uh, looking at and also like what kind of pin is it? I just love how you put in so much thought into pretty much every single product that you make. Like even though like when I see it on like the social media feed or when I see it on your website, um, like they look striking, like the colors are vibrant and, and just attracts a lot of attention. But like from someone who doesn't know much, they might not know like the hidden meanings behind it and how it actually can affect uh, or make an impact in someone's lives. Mm. Which is really cool, I think. But um, I'm also curious, like, what were like the first products that you that you actually made for Hacking Unicorn? Uh, one of the first one is the Hacking Unicorn pin, naturally. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very goofy looking unicorn, <laughs> uh, and it's just it's cute because it looks like it looks like a very ugly drawing of a unicorn. <laughs> uh, so it has a very derpy look, and a unicorn is kind of like a queer symbol. <laughs> So mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense. And so that was one of the first ones. Uh, mm. There was also the love is love pin, which is just the word oh. love with a rainbow yeah. background. I love, um, it. I love that catchphrase. Yeah. There is uh, one of them is called welcome to my closet. It's essentially a closet with a door open and then all the clothes inside are like rainbow colored. Nice. Uh, again, it's like, you know, it's used to as a subtle and uh, like you might not know what that means. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the earlier designs. 
But it's not just pins now, right? Like, I mean, you've you've designed for other products as well. I think they're like socks now as well. Like, are you planning yes. to expand your line? And we have socks and notebooks. Um, socks are the latest uh line of products, and I'm slowly like adding new designs. Oh, there's gonna be some new designs coming out next month. I'm very excited. Nice. <laughs> But yeah, the the socks are interesting because essentially it's like pixel art. Which is different from how I design the enamel pins, because right. you know socks you only have that many that much space for the design, so yeah. you have to mm -hmm. sort of like shrink down the design, ex uh, extract out the essential shapes and all that. Um, so it's a very fun sort of like creative process for me as well, lah. How long does this does it normally take for you though? I mean, you doing it all alone and coming up with so many different designs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it really, really depends. So for some pin designs, it could be within a day, um, uh. but for some designs, I could take a while because like the first sketch might be ugly, or like I'm not satisfied with it. Uh, for socks, it takes much longer because, like I mentioned, it's kind of like pixel art, and mm. so I can't I can't just copy and paste the designs. I mm. have to essentially redraw everything. Um, And then there's also color constraints. Like you know, it's very technical, but you cannot have too many colors. You cannot mm. have like too many switch of the colors and all that. So there's a lot more complexity, and because of that, it takes a lot longer. So sometimes it takes weeks to design. And then sometimes when I get the sample, I'm like, no, it's ugly. <laughs> and then I have to restart the whole thing. Uh, so it, it really depends. Sheesh, as I can never do that. Well, yeah. not like I'm a creative, anyways. <laughs> On top of everything that you do, like you are also like highly engaged in um a lot of conversations on social media, and you run a blog, and and uh, you also produce comics as well. Like, are you the one who who does all of this too? Yes. Wow. Okay. Like, why why did you decide to like also have this? Um, element in your brand to produce this kind of content. Hmm. So the the comics, um, they are they serve a couple of purposes, I guess. One of them is for so the comics in general. We talk about uh things like double standards or illogical arguments that people have against the LGBTQ community. So it's a way for us to um, make a joke out of these ridiculous situations. Because sometimes, right, there's really nothing much for us to do besides laugh at them. Um, yeah. So the comics are they are shorter. They are more like sort of surface level because you can't go too deep with like four to six panels. Mm. Um, And so they're meant for fast consumption, meant for us to laugh at these kind of situations. Um, the blog is different because it's a lot more in depth. So uh, the blog, the main objective of it is to increase awareness of uh, LGBTQ issues. Uh, with a focus on Singapore, because like, I'm based in Singapore. So mm. essentially, the articles aim to increase the overall awareness of Singaporeans, lah, I guess, uh, about mm. the real issues that uh, queer people face in Singapore. Because 
a lot of times the narrative that we hear from people in positions of power is that you know the law is not enforced uh, mm. there is no discrimination uh, which i think uh the part about no discrimination i think is not true uh, mm. so the the main objective of the blog is to really highlight in as concrete terms as possible the mm. actual real discrimination that's happening and there's a lot mm. so we'll, i don't think we'll ever run out of topics uh, <laughs> unfortunately until the laws change until you know politicians take a take a stand on this kind of discrimination there are plenty of examples of discrimination and so that's the main sort of like motivation behind the block um and so the objective of that is more of like in line with what the brand is essentially the hacking unicorn brand is about uh not only just allowing people within the community to be able to express themselves be able to feel safe while doing so but it's also about uh trying to accelerate change trying to make sure that as fast as we can people no longer have to hide yeah, I mean, may, yeah, Singapore, like, if the government's listening, you know, you can start mm -hmm. by repealing 377A for a start. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, and, uh, like, and now you're um, with Hacking Unicorn, you are being roped into this um, campaign by MTV. Like, tell us how, how, how this came about. Like, how were you chosen? And, and um, we saw the video. Pretty cool. Yes, uh, so yeah. Mm. Um, how, how did that, how, how did this whole thing come about? What's the experience like? And uh, you also mentioned about going to San Francisco, which I'm so jealous. I've never been there. Can uh -huh. <laughs> you tell us more about that trip as well? Yeah. So, uh, the collaboration with MTV, it was quite surprising for me because I mean, like, MTV it. wants me, yeah, very surprising. Yeah, it's like all of us know MTV, but to me, it was like they actually know about me. Like what? <laughs> so I was, I was very surprised when they reached out to me and like told me about the idea behind featuring Hacking Unicorn and then actually getting like a, like a very awesome team of crew to come and film what I do. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, oh my god, like. Of course, I would do that. That's so cool. And I've actually watched some of their previous uh, campaigns before. Mm -hmm. uh, they did one uh, for International Women's Day. Mm, and they did yeah. a couple before that featured with some really, really awesome artists. So mm. I, was, I was quite very surprised, actually. Uh, and I was very excited. Mm. And throughout the process, I think at some point, they also mentioned that they're going to feature another uh, person. And it's Oprah Tang. Uh, the yeah. drag queen Oprah Tang and I was like yeah. oh my god it's so cool uh, I saw Oprah Tang on uh, during the Pink Dot streaming show yes. oh yeah. so amazing it's so good <laughs> I think I th that the, the entire Pink Dot the best part is the last few minutes where they actually released the drag queen performance yes video. it was like it's so the well band. done the queens all look amazing and then it's like oh my god the tourism board should use this to promote but of course you know government won't do that but you know it's so amazing uh yeah okay, it's anyway. pretty high it's, quality as well it's, it's pretty yeah. high quality i think yeah it's, it's really um uh, well it's really like music video um 
quality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it's, I can say. It's, it's a it's a very high production value kind of like video. And so it was it was really, really amazing when I watched it. So I was watching it with my family. Uh, and that was That's like nice. we all like screamed at the TV when we saw it because it was just so amazing. Do you and your family watch Bing Dot every year? Together? Yes. Oh, um, before so the before the pandemic, we used to go down together uh, nice. to the physical space. Mm. But yeah, nice. now we watch it at home together. Yeah. Um, did you guys like light up your house in pink? Yeah, we did. We did. <gasps> cool. Yeah. So, um, anyway, back to <laughs> MTV. <laughs> uh, it was it was very cool. Like the whole process, because of course we would have to like brainstorm what will I talk about, what would the interview be about. Um, and it's very cool because they are very open to ideas. Uh, essentially, mm-hmm. they ask me what I want to talk about. And that is pretty much what ended up in the video. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is cool. Yeah. Like, yeah. So yeah. you get kind of like control. or um, But I think the best part about it is that like I get to see the person behind Hacking Unicorn because all I see every day is, you know, your pins, your amazing pins and your comics. Uh, but you, you've never posted a photo of yourself on your platform, yeah. right? Yeah. I, so I rarely do that because I'm quite yeah. shy. Um, Aww. And Aww. so like, <laughs> I put, I, I think, so on the on the bio, I tag my personal Instagram account. But mm. that is to let people know that, you know, an actual human is running the brand. Because mm. uh, <laughs> you, if you check out my personal Instagram, it, you get very bored because I don't post stuff. <laughs> because uh, all of yeah. your creative energy is on hacking unicorn that's why <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah anyways also during the in the video you talk about your san francisco trip and apparently that also had something to do with how hacking unicorn came about right hmm. so yeah uh, that when was, did that happen that, when was that trip yeah tell us all about it that was so many so many years ago uh it was part of a school trip uh to sf and it's like we visited a lot of because you know silicon valley is just there and oh, so we right. visited a lot of tech startups to learn more about how they run a business and stuff mm-hmm. um and so a part of it is of course we will have some free time and that was when i went around uh i visited the castro which is the gay uh uh neighborhood i guess within sf uh and mm-hmm. it felt amazing because you could see pride flags everywhere. You could mm-hmm. there was a pedestrian crossing and mm-hmm. it is like rainbow colored. Like the, the road is rainbow colored. Yeah. Um, rainbow so colored pedestrian. Just, yeah, it was just amazing because it felt like a safe space to be queer. And mm. it's something that I didn't feel much in Singapore. So mm-hmm. it, it felt very different for me. And I think back then it was my sort of queer awakening in the sense that I, I have known that I'm queer all along. It's just that that was the moment in my life where I started being more public about my identity. Um, so it ties in very nicely with like uh, visiting the place that a lot of people associate with the LGBT movement. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's very, very cool. Uh, and so how we sort of very indirectly inspired Hacking Unicorn is that mm. um, because back then I wasn't that aware of a lot of like different queer brands or queer designers. So mm. I tried looking for cute pins in the brick and mortar 
physical retail uh, stores in SF. Um, and so I couldn't really find a lot of cute designs. But the reason for that is because they are all online. And that's mm. something I knew only after the fact. Uh, right. But, and then it makes sense lah, because like, if you think about it, a lot of these queer designers, of course, they would, they would sell on an online space mm. uh, where it could be safer, where they don't have to invest in like retail space and all that. Mm. Um, so now I know that a lot of amazing queer brands uh, exist mainly on the online space. And of course, it includes hacking unicorn. Like we are mainly online. We don't have any physical retail shop or anything like that. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's allowed. <laughs> or I'm uh, sure. I no, it, I'm sure it's allowed. I don't think yeah, it's okay. illegal. Uh, okay, that's good to it's know. It's just expensive. <laughs> you know, ah, physical that is right. That's right. You, you rental prices. Rent, yeah. yeah. Screw that. Just stay online. <laughs> <laughs> you store all your things in your room. Like, yes, my room uh, is, okay. is like quite full messy yeah, and full. <laughs> right. Um, like I can only imagine like some people feeling, I guess, um, really connected to your brand or because it's just so rare to have a brand that speaks to you, especially if you're in an LGBT community in Singapore. Have there been like people who actually write to you about how they feel about having Hacking Unicorn? Um about having like that extra LGBT representation. I mean, not like we have that many <laughs> um, <laughs> in the retail scene. You're, you're like one of the rare few. Maybe there are others that I'm not aware of. Um, but have uh, have there been people who you know reach out to you to uh, maybe convey to you like their feelings about, hey, thanks so much for existing. Like we don't know that. Like I've never had. Or been able to or go to a space where I can buy things that can represent myself. Like, have there been mm. like really um, feedback like that that you receive? Yeah, there has there has been uh, mm. there have been a couple, and I think whenever I get these kind of messages, it just uh, motivates me even more. Because sometimes it gets tiring, especially because you know it's just me. <laughs> but whenever I receive these kind of messages and they come from different people, I guess. So mm -hmm. some of them are in Singapore and some of them have like written back because you know there's a return address whenever you ship item, items out. Oh. So they just like write a letter and then send it back and like, uh, oh, thank you for doing this. Uh, it's very heartwarming whenever I receive those. Um, a lot of them also DM us on Instagram. Um, mm. to tell us about how they are happy with what they have bought. Uh, and it's not just in Singapore, actually. And it's not just the younger people. There are some people who are slightly older who mm. might be in countries like that you wouldn't think uh, or you wouldn't associate with being closeted, like Canada or the US. And mm. they would be in their 30s and they would message me and say that uh, they are just starting to come out. Um, and oh. so the pins help them uh, do it in a safe way that they can very easily explain away if they feel unsafe. Um, and so they are just very thankful that, you know, not everything is uh, loud and proud, but there mm. are some things that have a bit more subtlety. Um, mm. And I think whenever I receive these this kind of messages, it's very heartwarming. And it's not just from customers too, because... Uh, not everyone likes pins, but they can, they might still support like the brand. Uh, and so, for example, I think there was once I received uh, an email from someone 
who suggested that it would be cool if we wrote about coming out experiences that focused on Singapore. Mm. Uh, and that was the reason why I wrote the most recent blog article, which is the coming out stories from seven people in Singapore. Mm. And okay. so, you know, that is like a very nice thing where they could tell us how they feel or what they think we should write about. And then if it's a good idea, I'll just do it. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, that's that's really nice. That's really nice to hear. Because there's just so few platforms that do that in Singapore. Um, and even now, like even after like uh, more than 10 years of, of the Pink Dot movement being around, um, we're we're still we're still fighting for more LGBT acceptance in Singapore. Um, but for you personally, like what do you th- like? What are your thoughts about that? Like, um, do you think that Singaporeans are? Do you see Singaporeans slowly opening up or accepting or um, learning to understand the LGBT community? Uh, I think so. I think that's mm-hmm. a change, mm-hmm. uh, and. It is. It has to do with different things, I think. So, so one aspect is a generational change. Mm-hmm. So the younger generation in general, they are a lot more accepting of uh, LGBTQ identities, a lot more accepting of LGBTQ issues, and they don't quite get why discrimination still exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about it, I think the internet plays a huge part because uh information is easily accessible so they can always learn about what it means to be queer they mm. can see a lot more representation in uh overseas productions rupaul's drag race uh where i post you know uh compared to my generation and i'm 30 this year so i was mm. born in 1991 that was mm. just about the time where the internet became commercially viable Mm-mm. So the internet is actually a lot younger than we remember. <laughs> and because of that, w- the era that I grew up in, the police were still uh, doing sort of entrapment uh, of gay people. Mm-hmm. They were still publishing a lot of news articles about gay men being arrested for soliciting in the public space and all that. So mm-hmm. the environment that I grew up in and the environment that the younger people grew up in is very, very different. Um, the mm. source of information is very different. Um, and so there is that slow shift that is happening uh, because information is just more accessible now. There are also other things that are important, like Pink Dot obviously has done a great job in making the LGBT movement mainstream. Uh, mm. And so that has a huge part, uh, that plays a huge part in making conversations come about more easily. Because, I mean, it's huge. Uh, Pink Dot is huge. Uh, once a year, and uh, the event is once a year. But of course, throughout the year, they do a lot of things, and they have made it essentially a staple of Singapore life. Uh, at least once a year, you're gonna talk about Pink Dot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a huge change. You compare it to an era where you have no such thing, and the police are still, you know, <laughs> arresting people. And then mm-hmm. you get newspapers reporting on the arrest. It's very, very mm-hmm. different. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of different things. And a lot of the sort of the things that we enjoy today, the younger generation, myself included, mm-hmm. uh, they are built on the decades of hard work 
that a lot of our pioneers sort mm. of Mm-mm-mm. the work that they have done mm. uh, and it's a lot easier for me today to run Hacking Unicorn mm. than it is for them in their era with what is available to run a pro-LGBT organization mm. because for them back then when they run it you can imagine the backlash you can imagine the pressure but for me in Singapore today it's a lot easier for the public to accept the fact that there's a queer brand. So, you know, we, we just live in very different generations. And I think there is definitely a shift in, in terms of acceptance, in terms of how people are starting to think about or discuss about LGBT issues. Um, but I think there's still a lot more to be done. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, there, there isn't as much change as I'd like uh, in the top uh, leaders in the country. So I think mm-hmm. that's severely lacking. Mm-hmm. That is the thing that didn't seem to shift that much, uh, mm-hmm. which is a bit disappointing. Um, but in general, yes, I'm, I'm positive. I am optimistic that change will happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I actually totally, I actually feel this, the exact same way as well. Um, sometimes you feel like, oh, this long, ba- like the the battle seems so long drawn, like it just seems so endless. But when you look back and you 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 look back and you see the little little achievements like hey people are opening up here hey this this is no longer happening this is no longer happening um and uh, it's something to be proud of yeah mm, yeah do you want to do like a quick plug um of hacking unicorn and your and the mtv campaign that you're part of Hi, I'm Ishan and I run Hacking Unicorn. Uh, Hacking Unicorn is a queer brand that designs and sells different pride products, uh, enamel pins, socks, and notebooks. And very recently, we collaborated with NTV on their Love Beyond Genres campaign. And it's very, very cool. They did uh, two videos on the MTV the Originals uh, featuring us and Oprah Tang. And also, we helped them design and create a very special pride set. Uh, just for Pride Month this year. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time of your day to speak to us and tell us more about your brand. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. I think a lot of people love it and don't want you to mm-hmm. go away. So please stay. More pins, <laughs> more pins. It. More pins. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having okay. me. Thanks. Okay, bye. 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 Wow, that was such a great talk with with the guy behind um, such an amazing queer brand. I think he he has so much heart. He puts so much heart in his work, and he's so creative. And to think that he's the is the only he's the only brain behind every single thing that he's doing for Hacking Unicorn, from the products, designs, from the website, and drafting the comics, which I thoroughly enjoy reading actually whenever I, mm. I, I tune into his uh, social media pages cool right it's like we all have 24 hours in a day but somehow he manages to do that with all his mm-hmm. time it's really admirable yeah I should be more productive <laughs> <laughs> same <laughs> oh, okay God. so I guess that's all we have for today folks thanks so much for yeah. listening 
Thanks. Bye. Bye. Durian time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories, you can become a Coco Plus member at coconuts.co slash membership, make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron, or buy a fresh merch at the Coconut Shop at shop.coconuts.co. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by a journalist on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Summer Lee and Nurul Azlia. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. And our editor is Rainer Lim. Mm-hmm.